As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hi, this is Brian Polson, host of Open Record. Throughout September, we are revisiting some of our favorite podcast episodes from the past three years. This week, government secrecy and closed-door conversations. Why the people you elected to represent you may be having conversations you can't hear and cutting deals you can't see. As we continue to work on new material for the future, please enjoy this encore presentation of Open Record, Open Meetings 101. If I hadn't done what I'd done, I would have been part of a cover-up, really. Wauwatosa School Board discussed public records in secret. Wauwatosa School Board was putting a lot of pressure on Mr. Meyer not to uh, comply with uh, your public records request. So what's the big deal? We are in a school board room, the intersection of power and money, and now there's no one watching us. It's important for us to know what the government is doing. What should you expect from your government's public meetings? Today, we're taking a crash course in transparency. From the Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire, back from hiatus. And today, I am joining Fox 6 investigator Brian Polson. Hey, Brian. Hey, Amanda, it's great to have you back, especially since just this week we learned that we have once again been honored on the podcast with a regional Edward R. Murrow Award, so very excited to announce that, especially with you back here on the show. And we're going to talk about a topic that's obviously very near and dear to our hearts. The name of this podcast is Open Record, but it's really about open government, and that includes open meetings. And that was a subject of a recent story of yours. Yeah. So if you haven't been following the ongoing saga in Wauwatosa School District, I do suggest you go back to episode 198. It's called Runaway Relationship. So quick recap, our investigation revealed a Wauwatosa School District Administrator named Kristen Bowers was using her position to push the district's contract with the college prep program called AVID. Now she was doing this while her husband was on AVID's payroll. And we stumbled onto this story in an open records request for school board member voicemails. And you might remember, as we detailed on that open record episode, Runaway Relationship, I filed this request thinking I was going to find threats surrounding school board votes on COVID mitigation. Totally unrelated to this issue. Totally unrelated to this issue. But when school board member Mike Meyer turned his voicemails over. Hey, Mike, Mary Jo. We found a voicemail. About the AVID contract. That really started our digging into the AVID contract. Now, Wabatosa school board members apparently listened to open record because that episode where we described that process kind of kicked off what we're about to talk about. Okay, so what happened? Well, our investigation, it airs in November. In December, I get a call from Mike Meyer. This is after we put out that podcast episode detailing how we started digging into the story. So Mike Meyer tells me at that point, a board member gave him, quote, feedback that he over-complied 
with our public records request because he gave me voicemails unrelated to threats. So connecting the dots here, they heard us saying, hey, we thought we were going to find threats. Then he says he gets feedback that by giving me voicemails unrelated to that, he, quote, over complied with our public records request. Over complied is a word that really jumps out because public records are by default open. They are ours. They belong to the public. There are limited exceptions under the law. And we're going to have an expert on shortly to talk about this uh, who has before, by the way. There are limited exceptions to those things being written. So, so just this idea that they over Can you over comply with a public records request? Well, over comply with the law. That's kind of the the interesting portion of this. Right. So the law, unless we're talking about HIPAA or FERPA, you know, for the most part, the law doesn't prevent public leaders from turning over records. If the records are public, they're public. We get them. Um, but in this case, Meyer responded exactly to my open records request. It, I asked for voicemails from a certain time range. He gave me his voicemails from that time range. So Meyer said when he called me, he was worried that if some thought he overcomplied, perhaps that meant others undercomplied and did not turn over public records they were supposed to turn over. So at that point, I asked him, hey, can I share this conversation with the rest of the board? Because I want to check in and make sure I got my records. He says, yes. So I sent an email asking the board to double check their records. And that's really when things start to escalate. And I want to be clear. The reason this concern comes in is because the conversation about the supposed overcompliance happened in a closed session, right? This happened in a time when the public wasn't watching or wasn't able to watch. Well, that's how it turned out to have happened. Originally, when when Meyer told me about this and looking back, I see he was very careful um, in, in how he phrased it, um, at the, he started the conversation off just saying he received feedback. He didn't say where he received that feedback. So it turned out that this conversation happened in a closed session. And we're going to get into what that means in a minute. But the way this goes after I send the board my email, Meyer was originally supposed to serve on the school board's policy committee. It's actually a committee they formed after we started digging into the AVID contract. At the time, board president Steve Doman sends Meyer an email after I go and double check, ask them to double check their records, and admits the conversation about my open records request happened in a closed session. And he believed Meyer violated board policy by sharing that conversation with me and he said, as a result, Meyer was not going to be on the policy committee. So Meyer gets an attorney who says the school board violated the law, and now they're going back and forth. And so obviously there's a mess going on within the Wauwatosa School Board, and it all starts with this story, this investigation, ongoing investigation you've been doing that obviously doesn't look very good for the district. I'm sure PR-wise, they're not really happy about the kind of publicity we're getting. But what's the big picture here beyond the sort of turmoil within the board itself? Why do we care? Why do our listeners care? Well, it depends on who you talk to. It, you know, the, the big idea here is government business is supposed to happen in public. And there are limited reasons those discussions can be private. And, and we're going to get to that in a minute, as we promised a little earlier. But public records are not on the list of allowed closed session conversations. Other school board members did not address the legality of that closed session discussion when we asked for comment, but the overall attitude has been nothing to see here. Now, Mike Meyer says he's concerned that, number one, in the aftermath of our investigation, which, by the way, was a big pain in the rear end for the school district, 
he felt like the focus wasn't on, hey, how do we prevent this kind of issue from happening again? He felt like the focus was, how do we prevent this kind of issue from becoming public again? In other words, in admonishing him for turning over too many records, the concern he felt wasn't in the right spot. Number two, he feels he's suffering consequences for tur turning over public records and then speaking up about what he believes to be a violation of Wisconsin's open meetings law. So he says he's worried all of this is going to have some kind of chilling effect on transparency. And at the very end of my interview with Meyer about this, I asked him why this issue was so important to him. And he came back with an emotional response I did not expect. So that's something I'd like to play right now. It's what people have died for, that um, we have this right to be equally represented, to be elected by the people and to have our place in proportion to what the people have assigned us the duty to do. If we let this break down, then we have not honored my uncles who um, were on the beach at Iwo Jima, who were at the, the Battle of the Bulge. Um, people sacrificed so that we have someone doing this job in a fair way. And it doesn't seem very fair right now. It's the essence of democracy that we do this job in an honorable, competent, patriotic way, exercising good judgment. And if, if any of us fail, we've, we've, we've failed our country. I, I really, truly believe that. Okay, so I have to tell you, when I first heard this soundbite, it's easy to initially react and go, all right, that's an over, you're getting, that's a little too much for something like this. But then you step back and think about this for a minute. Perhaps the most foundational thing to our democracy, what makes our government uh, different, and, and, I, and I think better, is that cornerstone, the idea that transparency is what makes our government great. And that is really what's going on here. We're talking about whether or not the public's business happens in public or not, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. And when you talk to someone like Meyer, and keep in mind, this interview, at this point, I've been talking to him for 30 minutes, and he had been detailing really this journey he had been through where he felt like he was being punished for being transparent. So I think that alone is going to yield an emotional response in someone, right? When you feel like you're doing the right thing, and you feel like you're being punished for it, I think there's a natural emotion that comes with that. But then you also get into the idea of public service and you talk to people who serve on school boards, people who go into government and you ask them why they do it. And it's, it's not because they're getting paid big bucks. I think most will tell you it's because they really believe in democracy. That's why they're doing this. And so that's, I think what he was coming back to. Um, you know, when we talk about public records and we talk about public meetings, it can get into the weeds. It can feel like a really technical conversation. And so for someone to come back with this response that had so much emotion, I thought was pretty powerful. 
And it kind of gets to the the core of why these are important. And I, I think that's what we're going to talk about next. So let's bring in the, the expert to talk about this who has been waiting in the wings. Attorney Tom Kamenick, his second appearance now on Open Record, founder of the Wisconsin Transparency Project, a law firm, in fact, Wisconsin's only law firm, dedicated 100% to enforcing the state's open records and open meetings laws. Tom, welcome back to the podcast. Brian, Amanda, it's great to be here. So why is the open meetings law such a big deal? Why is it even a law in the first place? Let's go back to what Mr. Myers was just talking about, that this is a foundational piece of democracy and good governance. You know, elections just by themselves aren't enough. There are plenty of countries that have elections where there's not actually a representative government. Communist China would be an obvious example. You know, if you don't have your free choice in among elections, you don't have a real good government. And how do you make your choices in elections? How do you decide who to vote for? Well, you can't make a good informed decision if you don't know what your elected officials, elected representatives are actually doing on your behalf. If you can't see that, you have no idea of how good of a job they're doing. It's not just what they're doing, but it's who is influencing them. And then, you know, the process of decisions sometimes, and I've seen it before, when conversations are public and members of the public decide they really like something or they really don't. It gives them a chance to show up at the meeting. It gives them a chance to write letters and from their viewpoint, um, potentially step in and themselves as members of the public influence government decisions. I'm curious about what your experience has been in, in viewing how that process works. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a feedback loop, right? You, you can't rely just on elections because those only happen every one, two, three, four years, depending on what you're voting for. But if you don't have interactions between the members of the public and their elected representatives, then you get really unresponsive, uh, unresponsive people in office. It's hard to build consensus, right? I mean, consensus is not easy. So when you've got a board of any size, it's hard enough. When the public tosses in their opinions, it's even harder. So I can imagine that there is a natural sort of tendency or desire to go, just let us figure this out. We don't need to be interfered with by the pesky public. But obviously, that's one of the cornerstones of, of, of open government, right? Yeah, and that's a dynamic that, I don't know if it's growing, but it's 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 at least a problem that's becoming more noticed or more prevalent, Is is that... A lot of these boards are far more responsive to the administrators than they are to the public. I, you know, a lot of these boards are part-time people that are volunteers or they're you know, not getting paid a whole lot. It's, it's not their full-time job. And there's a lot of times this attitude of, well, we're just happy to do whatever the administrators tell us to do. <laughs> whatever they think is best, we're happy to go along with. And I think over the past couple of years, we've seen a little more pushback on that idea and l- more public involvement and more public people wanting to be heard. Well, and building off of what you both just said, and it's something I've noticed in watching now years worth of Wauwatosa school board meetings, but I'm starting to notice it in other um, districts, other forms of government too. You can tell there's this big desire for everyone to be on the same page, to have consensus. And actually several parents in Wauwatosa school district had sent me emails prior to this saying, we're noticing a lot of unanimous votes. And they were troubled by that because this isn't a team where they've picked each other. This isn't like the the corporate world, right? 
the, the voters have picked them, there's naturally going to be some tension. People don't magically get on the same page. So I got a lot of questions from parents asking, if we're not seeing disagreement happen in public, and then we're seeing all these unanimous votes, how are they getting on the same page? It either means they're not speaking up in real time and people are going along with maybe something they disagree with for the purpose of consensus, which can be an organizational leadership problem, or it means they're getting on the same page in private and parents seemed really troubled by that notion. And I'm noticing this desire for consensus in several different forms of government that I've been watching. And I'd imagine that that can really get in the way of some transparency issues. Yeah, I don't think consensus by itself is the desired goal. The desired goal is a decision being made and ideally a decision that reflects the the, the wishes of, of the largest portion of the citizens uh, that are being representative. But uh, it, it kind of gets back to this idea that this is part-time volunteers and uh, there's there's uh, people who don't like to be troublemakers, don't like to be disagreed with, don't like to speak up. And, and unfortunately, I think those are the kind of people we don't necessarily want on our boards electing us. We want people to speak their minds and be respectful about it and be able to have disagreements and talk through them. Obviously, though, like it, like the right to free speech is not absolute. Open meetings are not absolute. There are times when boards are allowed to meet in closed session. Can you talk a little bit about what a closed session is and what are those limited times when it is acceptable for a board to meet in a closed session? Yeah, closed sessions are the exception to the rule and all those exceptions are laid out in statute. Uh, a, a governmental board has to meet one of a limited number of exceptions in the statute in order to go into closed session. There's no catch-all uh, exemption that they can futz with and and, and and use whenever they want. There's no balancing test. There, there's no gray areas. It's a lot more black and white than, say, uh, some of the open records law exemptions. What would be some of those key reasons? What, what would be some examples of, of when a closed session is warranted? Some of the most common ones are getting legal advice from their attorney uh, if it's about litigation. If they are discussing personnel matters, so either hiring or firing or promoting or demoting, uh, it, they can do that as long as they're discussing an individual employee. So that doesn't count if they're talking about positions in general or pay raises across the board, anything like that. It also doesn't work for uh, higher ranking governmental officials. Uh, they can't be discussed in closed session. This is, this is supposed to be for kind of rank and file employees. And perhaps one of the biggest ones we see is that uh, they can go into closed session if bargaining or competitive reasons require secrecy. And I've even noticed in the exceptions you listed, Tom, there are some caveats. So I know I've definitely seen some government entity entities that think anytime they talk to their lawyer, it can be a closed session. But for the purposes of litigation, um, seems to be much more narrow than that. Actually, when I worked in Pennsylvania, it was common at school board meetings, you would see the school district's attorney sitting up there with the school board members so that during the meeting, school board members could jump in and say, hey, what do you think about this? Can we do this? And some of those conversations would happen there in public because it was so limited as to what they could actually discuss in private. I don't see that as often here in Wisconsin. Yeah, I think that one's 
expanded or, or used more often than it should be because you're right it is not any time they are receiving legal advice from their attorney it's only supposed to be about litigation or likely litigation so if something is is pending and they're very likely to be sued or if they are very likely to file a lawsuit themselves they can go into closed session but you're right that uh, the the school district or the city's attorney in the meeting should be giving advice about procedural matters or transactional matters uh, right there in public in front of everybody because it's a little strange to think about, but the attorney works for the public too, and public has at least some right to know if, if one is the attorney giving good advice, and two are the more board members actually following the advice. You know, in the Wauwatosa school board case, one of the things that stands out to me was that these conversations that happened behind closed doors that appear to have been inappropriate, talking about an open records request um, that wasn't noticed, this wasn't the reason for the for the meeting. If that happened. Um, the only way we find out about that is if someone in that meeting tells us, because there's no other record of that we can request. There's no other sort of way of us for us to know. There's not a recording, obviously. It was a closed session. And I do wonder sometimes how important that makes what is on the agenda in terms of how does the public know at least the topic that's being discussed in closed session? What does your government have to tell you about here's what we plan to go talk about and how important is it that they stick to that topic? Very important. It is the legal requirement. Uh, so we're what we're talking about here is, is the notices that these governmental bodies have to put out. And they have to put out these notices. Uh, often they just come in the form of agendas, although technically it doesn't have to be uh, written like that. Uh, they have to come out 24 hours in advance. They have to be provided to the public and to members of the news media who have requested written notification. And it also has to be given to uh, the local official city newspaper or otherwise just a large newspaper in the area that'll give notice to a lot of people. Uh, but did, your question kind of went more towards the, the, the content, what has to go into these agendas. It, uh, the law requires that it have the time and the location of the meeting. They cannot vary from that. If the location says a particular room inside of a building, they cannot go to a, a different room, at least without giving new notice of a new meeting. Uh, and the law also requires that they provide notice of the subject matter. And there have been quite a few cases about what giving notice of the subject matter actually means. And they, it's a little bit of a gray area of just how specific a, an agenda item topic needs to be. Uh, it does not need to tell whether or not they intend to take action. Uh, sometimes people uh, complain that, that it just said it was discussion and they wound up taking action. But that's actually okay because it's supposed to be about this, the topic of discussion. Uh, but it needs to be specific enough that it gives the public like a reasonable idea of whether they, they want to come or not. So, you know, it gives them enough information to decide, is this something that interests us? So, you know, if they're talking about masks, they don't have to put on there what they want to do about it. Uh, but if they had something as broad or vague as health in the district or COVID responses, that might be uh, too vague to qualify under the law. Well, or what about something as generic as personnel matters to discuss personnel? And here, Brian, you're talking about closed sessions, right? Closed sessions. Yeah, I'm just wondering in a closed session, is it enough to say we're going to talk about personnel or we're going to talk about the hiring process for an individual? And that's it. No name, nothing more. Is that enough? Personnel matters by itself. No, because uh, you're basically just quoting a statute at that point. And there, there is good... Uh, well-developed case law and attorney general opinions saying, no, you can't just quote the statutory language. You have to 
put more detail uh, than what the statute says. And, and one of the reasons for that is because the statutes often have multiple topics, multiple potential topics in the same uh, in the same statutory subsection. But if you're talking about personnel matters, no, because that could be way, way, way too many different things. If you were saying a particular position or the hiring process for a position, I think you would need to identify which position that was, because that's not a secret. Now, the difficulty in figuring out whether a body has violated the uh, open meetings law when they go into closed session, of course, is that you need a whistleblower, as Brian mentioned earlier. An idea that's been tossed around, but it hasn't really gone anywhere here in Wisconsin, is requiring government bodies to record their closed session for the purpose of that being used for an in-camera review. That is, if someone challenges the closed session as inappropriate, a judge could then listen to the recording and decide for themselves. And then, of course, with people in the room knowing there is a recording, there's that idea that they stay on track a little more. I know that hasn't really gone anywhere from a legislation standpoint, Tom, but I'm interested in hearing your thoughts about that. Well, you've identified a, a real problem and a real solution to it, and I don't know if they'll ever actually do it or not, but it's a great idea because you, you're right that a lot of the times we only find out about these problems is if one of the members of the board is willing to go rogue about what happened in this closed session. And as we've just discussed with Mr. Meyer, you know, doing going public about that is often going to lead to difficulties for that person. There's a lot of you know, incentives for them to go along and get along because they have to keep working with these people for the next couple of years at least, right, in most cases. Uh, but most of my cases that I've brought, most of my clients are members who have been inside these closed sessions and said, something is wrong here. And one of the questions, this is a little bit tangential, but it, it comes up is, is that can they be punished for going public like this? And that was my next question. Yeah, the, the general answer is no, because you are getting into actual First Amendment areas here, is that the, these board members are citizens that have First Amendment rights, and if they want to talk about something that was talked about in closed session, most of the time they can do so. Uh, because a, as Amanda mentioned earlier in the, the show, there is not a privilege or a general prohibition on discussing what's what was uh, discussed in closed session publicly. Uh, unless something like FERPA or HIPAA, if there's a law out there that says you can't talk about this, you can't share medical records, you can't share education records, that's one thing. But just going into closed session doesn't make it legally confidential. What do you well, think is the biggest misconception you see about Wisconsin's open meetings law? You never have to go into closed session to discuss any of these topics. Uh, that is something I see all the time is is that you, you get uh, board members who are questioned about something. This happened in my school district a couple months ago, Port Washington Sockville School District, uh, where a, a assistant principal got a DUI. They went in closed session to talk about this. And board members came out and said, oh, we can't say anything about it. It's an internal personnel matter. That's just wrong. They didn't have to go into closed session, and it's not a confidential 
matter. It can be discussed publicly, uh, and it's always better for them to err on a side of caution. They can always hold these things open and let the public see what's going on. It may not be illegal, but when boards set, can boards set their own policies? And I'm, I'm looking at, for instance, the Wauwatosa situation where Mike Meyer receives this quote-unquote feedback about what about his supposed overcompliance, and, and then he reveals that to to Amanda, she goes and talks about it, and then he gets what he, he deems retaliation. He's pulled off the policy committee for violating board policy. They didn't necessarily say he broke the law. They said he violated. Can a, can the board can a board set a policy that you cannot publicly disclose what we talked about in, in closed session? They can set a policy, and it's a question of what can they actually legally do about it if the policy is violated. You know, they can probably censure the person be publicly critical of them, say, you know, we don't think you should do that, should have done this. We think this was wrong because that too is their own sort of, uh, you know, free speech. They have the ability to criticize uh, their members and each other if they want to. Uh, but if there's any actual consequences for it, then you're starting to get into questions of First Amendment retaliation. Another common question I get, Tom, is about public comment um, because of a lot of government entities, you know, they limit their, the com, the most common limit we see is three minutes each for public comment. Um, there was recently some uproar in Wauwatosa School District because um, they had, their typical practice was to put public comment um, before a vote on certain agenda items. And in certain cases, they took away that public comment and people were very upset about that. Is there any requirement for public comment. There is not in the open meetings law. Uh, most of the time boards can choose to eliminate that entirely. It's a terrible practice. You know, they are supposed to be representative of, of their electorate, uh, but usually they don't have to have it. There are a couple exceptions. There are specific topics that need public hearings. Uh, those often have to do with zoning or TIF districts or uh, the annual budget budgeting process. There have to be public hearings, but outside of those, they don't have to. They can eliminate them entirely. Th that kind of raises the question of, well, if they allow them, what kind of limitations they can put on? And uh, to borrow a little bit of lawyer speak, uh, they can do what are called uh, reasonable time, place, and manner restrictions. So they can limit it to three minutes or, or whatever time they want. They can probably require that uh, the topics stay on topics that are on the agenda, uh, if they like, and not just allow anybody who wants to to get up and, you know, read Dickens or, or read poetry for their three minutes, uh, because it's not a traditional public forum. It's, it's what's called a limited purpose public forum, and, and they get to decide what the purpose of the forum is. And sometimes you get some interesting cases about, uh, like, behavioral requirements. Can they uh, place restrictions on being rude or abusive or harassing? And those start to get in uh, have problems with the First Amendment, too, because they can be such subjective questions. And boy, I tell you, I see government officials claim they're being harassed all the time when all that's happening is p people are criticizing them. And there have been cases, I'm not aware of one in Wisconsin, but around the country where policy is saying you have to be polite and not abusive and not rude have been struck down because you can't enforce them objectively. They're often used to... Uh, you know, shut down the people they disagree with, not the people who are agreeing with the board members. We've talked so far about 
when there are actual gatherings of board members, whether it should be open or whether they can go into closed session. But many times when there's something that doesn't qualify as one of those exempt reasons that they can go into closed session, you may find board members who try to have discussions um, sort of one at a time. I'll tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to talk to this board member and you're going to talk to that board member and you're going to talk to that board member and we'll figure out what's going to happen. And then when we get to the meeting, we're all just going to vote the same way. Is that okay? And if not, why not? What you're describing sounds like a walking quorum, and that's not okay. And, and let me start back on a little bit of basics about why. So the law applies, the open meetings law, the requirements for notice, the requirements for open session, those apply when, the, when a, quote, governmental body uh, holds a, quote, meeting. And there are definitions for what a governmental body is and for what a meeting is. And what you're getting at is, is what's a meeting? And for there to be a meeting, there has to be two things. They have one, there has to be a governmental purpose. So that means they have to be either taking action or discussing or in, uh, doing information gathering about a governmental topic that they've got authority over. So if, if they're meeting at a ball game, uh, that's not a, a governmental meeting. That's subject to the law. There's also a numbers requirement. And, and so that means that uh, typically it means if a majority gathers that you've got a meeting, but there are ways that less than a majority gathering can still be a meeting, and you identified one of them, which is the walking quorum, which is what happens when smaller gatherings of less than quorum size uh, gather to discuss the same topic or reach a decision on the same topic. So it's you've got a five-member board. If A talks to B and B talks to C about the same thing, all of a sudden you've got a majority that have talked about this and maybe decided what to do about it, even though they never gathered at the same time. And that's an illegal walking quorum. This conversation reminds me um, of conversations I have uh, often with a former coworker. And uh, we talk about speeding tickets. In other words, you know, there are some things that are technically illegal, but they're not necessarily a news story, right? Like someone gets a speeding ticket. Yes, they're technically breaking the law probably not going to be a headline. I know there are some people who see open meetings issues as speeding tickets. It's a technicality. Why do we care? You're making a mountain out of a molehill. What's your response to people who say that? Well, my law firm wouldn't exist if this was not a big deal, because this is literally the only thing we do is open records and open meetings law cases. And you know, anybody who thinks this isn't a big deal should, I would invite them to talk with the people who are calling me every single week uh, when they are being kept in the dark. You know, it's, it's been a problem in Wisconsin for years that these laws haven't been enforced very well. Uh, technically, the attorney general and the district attorney in each county are empowered to bring prosecutions of violations of records and meetings laws, but they almost never do, especially the records law. Once in a while, you get a, you get a, uh, a meeting prosecution, usually in a smaller county where there you know, aren't a whole bunch of murders to keep the, the prosecutors busy. Uh, but it's just not getting enforced. And when it's not getting enforced consistently, custodians and government officials know they can get away with things. Or even if it's just a subconscious uh, issue, they, they're aware that they're not likely to be sued. So they push the envelope a little bit and they get away with a little bit of something and they keep getting away with more and more. And th that's what I formed the, the Transparency Project to change, is, is that I wanted custodians and other government officials around the state to realize 
no, there's real risk that we get sued and dragged into court and dragged into the public spotlight if we don't follow the law on these things. Do you have any open meetings cases you've worked on that really kind of stand out to you that exemplify some of the things we're talking about here? The last time the Wisconsin Supreme Court decided a meetings case was in uh, 2017 or 2018 or so, and it was uh, the Krieger versus Appleton Area School District case. And I litigated that one at my former firm, the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty. And that was a case all about textbook committees. <laughs> the Appleton School District had uh, pulled together a, a committee to review the ninth grade English tech, uh, reading list curriculum, the books that they were going to read in, in ninth grade English classes across all of their high schools. And they didn't hold those meetings open to the public. And their argument was, this is just a work group. It's not really a real committee. It was created by administrators, not by the school board. And the Wisconsin Supreme Court said, no, that doesn't fly. You, you can't avoid the open meetings law by having your administrators create these committees instead of the board. So if I'm recapping our conversation correctly, the, my, the, the big takeaways here are public meetings don't necessarily need to require public comment, but in your view, they should. You have to notice the meeting and you have to stick to what you noticed in the meeting, um, whether you're in an open session or a closed session. There are limited times when a governmental body can convene in closed session. And usually the requirement isn't that that conversation stay in closed session. And that overall, this is something the, the public should be paying attention to. Did I, did I hit the big ones? Yeah, if I could add one little tiny thing, but it's, it's one of my favorites, is the law specifically says you can record these meetings. If you are there, you can set up your own equipment as long as you do so in a non-disruptive way. You have every right to record what is going on. You're talking about, obviously, members of the public showing up at a public session. They can do that. Obviously, they can't walk into the closed session and start recording, or that would sort of defeat the purpose, I suppose. Yeah, you've got that right. Would, you know, we talked about, like, a, a rogue member, right? If they think, if they're going, uh-oh, and they think that there there's an illegal closed session, are they allowed to just start recording? <laughs> That's an interesting question. Um, is there a board rule saying they can't? Yeah, the, the board could probably stop them because that would probably fall under the uh, kind of the auspices of just controlling your, your meeting and, and your, the procedures of your meeting. Uh, if, the, if the board member secretly recorded it, I don't think that the board could stop them from making it public. I think we would all have some interest in seeing what happened if that had to play out in a lawsuit somewhere, wouldn't we? That could that, that 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 would be an interesting legal argument. That's the Pentagon Papers case, isn't it? Right, like it kind of doesn't matter if uh, information was obtained unlawfully. Once it's out there, it's out there, and the government can't really stop you from sharing it. If someone thinks there's been a violation of the open meetings law, what can they do? I know you talked about problems with enforcement, but what are the steps that person can take? First of all, you can always contact me. I do free consultations on records and meetings law issues. I help people every every day figure out if the law was broken or not. And if it was broken, there's a couple things you can do about it. You can uh, you can ask your local DA or, or the attorney general to bring a prosecution. If they say no, which they almost always do, you have the right to file a lawsuit yourself to uh, to enforce that. You enforce it as a private attorney general. You, it's actually captioned in court as state X rel whatever your name is. So it, it means that you are filing the lawsuit on behalf of the state. So you're, you, you are acting on behalf of the public. It's not a, a lawsuit for private gain. 
Tom, this has been another really enlightening uh, uh, discussion. And I know we sometimes nerd out on the details of these things, but I think just to bring it back to th- there's so much importance to this because the decisions that affect our lives are happening in these meetings, and it's easy to ignore them at times. But we've seen what happened in just the last year with all of the attention on school board meetings. There are decisions that happen that directly affect our lives, whether it's the local, state, or, or national level. And, and when those things happen in secret, we're not privy to those. Really, this is, this is a very it, – it's easy to get lost in the weeds, as Amanda said, but this is obviously a very important topic. Yeah, you don't know what happens, and you don't know why what happens happens. And that is as good a time as any for us to go off the record. But it won't be a closed session. Uh, This is the part of the podcast where we get a little more casual. We have a little fun by answering a question for which we have not prepared. And back to ask us that question this week, thank goodness, is executive producer Sarah Smith. What's up, Sarah? Oh, it wasn't so bad. I listened last week. It wasn't bad, Bri. You just really stumped Jenna. I did Um, stump Jenna. Let me tell you that today is a big day, my friends. We have in probably for the first time in hmm, two years plus, maybe, uh, a question for off the record that comes from someone other than myself. It comes from an open record listener. Is that the name of the open record? Is that the name of the podcast? I literally, did did you you see my face? Did you just ask if that was the name of our national award-winning podcast? (laughs) You literally have a mug with the name Girl, the podcast on it. I can't see this. If we were, if we're doing video, uh, <laughs> oh, it is open record. Oh gosh. Okay. Dude, we should probably cut that out. Okay. Anyway, so it is. We're a, definitely uh, gonna leave it. A lo- <laughs> it's a loyal open record listener. It is Eric. His name is Eric, not my husband. <laughs> um, I can guarantee he has not listened to the podcast. Uh, okay. Anyway, today's question, who come, which comes from Eric, says. Name a song that, if you were driving down the highway, you would have the windows down and singing at the top of your lungs, but if you pulled up to an intersection and a group of people were, say, waiting at a bus stop or on the corner, you would roll up the windows or stop singing. It doesn't have to be something necessarily racy, just like a guilty pleasure. That's like all the music I listen to. (laughs) I have terrible taste in music. For me, it would probably be like, like come sail away by sticks because I would belt that. Although I don't think I would roll the windows up. My son would be embarrassed. He hates if someone has any reason to look at us. So if the music's playing and my windows are down, he wants me to roll the windows up. I would probably just look right. I'd look you dead right in the eye and I would belt out come sail away as loud as I could. So I don't think I'd roll up the windows. You'd probably have people joining you. I think so. I think so. I think for me, I mean, for me, it's wannabe. Spice Girls. <laughs> I know every word. I know every beat. Um, I wanna. But, I wanna. Uh, that, that, yeah. She also right. sings okay. the backup and the main vocals. <laughs> yes. Um, or um, Celine Dion. It's all coming back to me. Oh. Also, no. Every growing up in a French Canadian household, Celine Dion is like Jesus. That is. <laughs> I mean, she kind of is. I mean, even in my household, and we are not French. Like the pri- and especially like my family's from Quebec, so like the pride. I loved um, her in high school. The, yeah, the pride <laughs> of Quebec. Um, so when I was like thirteen, someone once told me I looked like Celine Dion, and my grandmother very seriously like grabbed my shoulders and said, "That is the best compliment <laughs> you will ever get." 
in her really thick French Canadian accent. It's all coming back to me or wannabe, I think would be the the two. They're tied. Deep down, I think I am a um a teenage angsty emo kid still. Uh, so for me, it would have to be Welcome to the Black Parade from My Chemical Romance. I would belt that at the top of my lungs and then remember how old I am if there were people next to me. <laughs> I like it. Um, Smitty, I, you so, have to have something. Well, I feel like it's every song for me, but um, I'm, I am I love pulling up the Hamilton soundtrack and listening it from, oh, from, from gosh, start yeah. to finish. And, and I will sing the words. I will sing harmonies. I will sing. And if I have it up loud enough, I can't hear my harmony and so i sing it even louder so like if someone were to just hear me all they would hear is the harmony part and they'd be like gosh that sounds terrible but that the is the only you... cd i still have in my car yeah. <laughs> it's the hamilton soundtrack you the difference funny is a... you can actually sing though go on no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> right you and tom, tom you sing right yeah, I have a music degree in vocal yeah. education. Wow. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> you, just, uh, you guys singing is, is going to be a little different than uh, someone someone hearing me belt out. All right, so we, are we signing off, signing off on some harmony? Right. I mean, all I did in high school every time, I was in, mar- in the marching band, um, and every time they would do the, the national anthem, sing the national anthem before sporting events, another uh, bandmate and I, all we would do was sing the harmony of the national anthem. <laughs> My friends would get so mad. And they're like, just sing the regular. No, I prefer harmony. I do it in church. I do it. I do it everywhere. I have great admiration. I love to sing. I love karaoke and things. I cannot harmonize to save my life. I don't know what it is. My brain does not work that way. It's the same reason I could never drum. I can't do two things at the same time with different limbs. I can't figure that out. So I love to, to do the melody. And if I've got somebody who can harmonize with me, we could sound great together. But if you need me to harmonize, it's never okay. going to happen. <laughs> I literally, and I, will I, sing I don't know. Yes, I don't the even Hamilton know if I could sing a, a melody sometimes. Sometimes I get so hung up on the harmony that I don't remember what the melody actually is. This is really tra- This has really gone down a path. I, I, I harmonize on accident because I can't <laughs> sing on key. I grew up in high school. I taught myself to harmonize by every time in church in high school would, would sing a different harmony line, every verse of the hymns at church. Amen. I love it. So what you're saying is we should come up with an open record theme song. We have Sarah who can do the harmony. Tom, you can join us for a guest credit. You and Brian can do the melody and I will stay silently in the background so that we continue to have listeners. All right. (laughs) How are you? Done. I was thinking we do some open record Hamilton karaoke, but that's a whole different topic. <laughs> Speaking of topics, uh, if you have a topic you would like us to discuss on open record, and Eric, that was a great one. Thank you for that question. An issue you think we should investigate, send us an email to fox6investigators at fox.com. Again, that is fox6investigators at fox.com. Tom, every time you stop by the podcast, we have great off the record discussions and we have great on the record discussions so thank you so much for joining us today it's always my pleasure let's keep coming back and doing this and as always thank you to all the people who make this podcast possible producer pete dave machuda and sarah smith please subscribe to open record if you haven't done that already you can find it wherever you do your podcast listening with that i'm amanda st hilaire and for brian polson we'll be back next week 